here. We move into the middle part of the day, and we title that, oddly enough, Midday on the Rural Radio Network. It's the time when we have kind of gathered all the information that agriculture, the news, the weather, sports has to offer for you, and we put it all in a little ball we call the Midday Program. And we're going to move on over and find out what's going on in ag headlines today. And we have, of course, uh, Susan Littlefield with us today. Soil health is on the menu, right? Oh, it definitely is. But I do have a celebrity sitting next to me that wanted to say hi to all the guys on, on the mid-table, round no. table. So, well, hello. Uh-oh. I recently have been told I look like Pat Benatar, so maybe that's what she's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> Shaylee, I think your new haircut is smashing. Yeah, it makes you look like hey. a rock star. Thanks, Dirk. I appreciate it. Can you sing Hit Me With Your Best Shot? I can, but I can scare everybody that way on round All right. Well, uh, we, we, we like your new, uh, your new Facebook uh, ID picture there, or whatever that is. Uh, okay, well, we better get back on track here, guys. Yeah, well, coming up um, at 1245, you did mention about soil health. And so, obviously, if you treat your soil well, it'll treat your crops well. So, we're going to talk more with a farmer from Shelby, Nebraska, who's been a part of the Soil Health Partnership. And he talks about what he's seen, an increase in the quality of his soil around him. We'll jump back to 1219. Lance Burdett will join uh, Dewey Nelson from Water Street Solutions. Get ready now for land discussions that are going to be coming up. And then at 117, Dr. Heather Fowler will join me. She talks about antibiotic use and how we've seen a decrease in the animal industry over the last year. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot more regulation in the last year, has there not? There has. January 1st is when they put the regulations in, so they have seen the amount of sales decrease on animal antibiotics. A lot more work closely with veterinarians from all livestock species. Okay. Susan and Shaley, thank you very much. We'll listen for your reports. Thank you. Sounds good. And Jason Jorgensen's back here in the studio. What's with that? It's good to be back. Yeah. Done some traveling. Long time gone. Now what do you have for us? We'll talk about new Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. He is kind of in an interesting spot. Today, he went back to Florida with his coaching staff. All of those guys eventually are coming to Lincoln. But they're back in Florida to get Central Florida ready for that big Peach Bowl matchup as they take on Auburn on New Year's Day. But at the same time, they're also trying to recruit to try to build up this recruiting class for the Huskers because something new in recruiting this year is an early signing day for football, and that also is just around the corner. Huskers did snag a verbal commitment last night. We will tell you more about him. Also, it is that time of year when college players who weren't happy with where they were at are looking for greener pastures. Uh, Iowa State and uh, Michigan will be involved with that when it comes to a couple of quarterbacks. So we'll kick all of that around a little bit more. Also, there is a new number one team in men's basketball. Villanova is number one. KU has dropped two in a row. They're down to 13. They figure to be in an angry mood when they visit (laughs) Pinnacle Bank Arena on Saturday against the Huskers. Well, we'll see how that works out for them. Bob Brogan has the business news. Banks and healthcare are leading stocks higher today, and by golly, they really are up. Uh, The central bank is expected to raise interest rates for the third time this year tomorrow. Crude oil prices are heading lower, and Bitcoin futures slipped on their second day of trading. So those are some of the hot topics we're watching. All coming up for you today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins steps in with a look at our ag weather today, and it's brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Now we get a day off from the wind, and then we're back at it again? Yeah, it looks like maybe a couple of days of some wind on as we headed into Thursday again. Yeah. you got to bring us better news. I know. wish you could. But at least the temperatures are on the mild side, and we're not getting inundated with a lot of cold air like they are well off towards our east. It's still in the 20s in much of Iowa, Missouri, and Minnesota. Still in some low mid-30s into eastern Nebraska towards Lincoln. They have 31. That's thanks to a band of clouds holding tough in eastern Nebraska and points to the west or to the east. Otherwise, as you head farther west, right in our area, most of us with temperatures in the upper 30s to low 40s, mostly low 40s, already into mid to upper 50s in northeast Colorado and the southern panhandle. It's all thanks to a west downslope flow off high pressure over the Rockies. That'll keep those warmer than normal temperatures for today. Luckily, the fire weather concerns today limited with the fairly light winds, what light west winds expected today. Another Alberta clipper, a quick-moving area of low pressure out of Alberta, Canada, will dive south through Minnesota tonight. That will push another cold front south through our area, give us some gusty northwest winds on the backside for tomorrow, and those fire weather concerns tomorrow back up near critical levels. A reinforcing shot of cooler air for Thursday going to make it the coolest in the next seven days. Now, there is the potential also of a little rain and snow in eastern areas, maybe resulting in a light covering of snow, but not expecting anything major for sure. Friday and Saturday looks nice with warmer temperatures and some light west breezes. And there's another cold front expected for Saturday night that will cool our temperatures just slightly for Sunday into early next week. The temperatures still milder than normal as we head towards early next week. Mild conditions look to continue in our long term. A good likelihood, especially early on, that temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be warmer than normal Sunday through Christmas Day. In case you're making some uh, holiday plans, things looking pretty good for that right now. The precipitation forecast indicates mainly below normal precipitation for both Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through Christmas. In the weather factors, in the markets rather, weather factors include a continued forecast for rain late this week in Argentina and additional rain in central Brazil. No precipitation expected in the next five days across the southern two-thirds of the U.S. except for Maybe some snow showers in the central Appalachians and some late week rain across the lower southeast. Cold weather will prevail east in the Mississippi River, while unusually warm weather will cover most areas from the Pacific coast to the plains. Transportation may be a bit of a problem in the eastern Midwest, where several rounds of snow squalls are forecast the next couple of days. Drought conditions are building across the southern plains, where it will be warm and dry through the next week. That will keep winter wheat from complete dormancy and stress the crop even more. Rain remains in the central Brazil forecast the rest of the week. A drier trend with sunlight this weekend will benefit the soybean and corn development. Southern Brazil should be dry the rest of the week. Their next chance of rain looks to be about seven days out. And it's a promising rain forecast for Argentina's major crop areas the next seven days. That's after rain this past weekend with some mild temperatures. All right, and our ag weather, of course, at midday is brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. I want to remind you that there's a real neat way for you to keep up with all the weather, and that is via our app. And you can go to uh, your Apple Store or your uh, Google Play and download that for absolutely free. All kinds of stuff on there, including the forecast, current weather, radar for a couple of dozen counties around the region. It'll keep you up to date when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Use recording is underway. I'm Shaley Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. 
With another irrigation season ended and a new water year already underway, Nebraska Department of Natural Resources has sent out invitations to all surface water irrigation permit holders to voluntarily report their water usage during the 2017 irrigation season. The online survey helps NEDNR better project future water needs and aids in the management of the state's water. The initiative began with water users in the lower Niobrara and Loop River basins back in 2013 and has expanded every year thereafter until this year when all irrigation appropriations in the state will have the opportunity to voluntarily report their surface water usage. Water use reporting is voluntary in all of these areas of the state with the exception of the Republican River Basin where reporting is required under the Republican River Compact. Next week, every contact associated with an irrigation appropriation will receive a letter with a unique PIN number and instructions for them to access the online reporting application. It is important to note that though there are maybe many contacts listed for a single appropriation, Only one contact associated with each appropriation can report water use for that appropriation. And speaking of water, most Nebraskans likely are familiar with the High Plains Aquifer, one of the largest aquifers in the world and the primary source of water for many Nebraskans. But for those living in eastern Nebraska and in portions of the Panhandle where the High Plains Aquifer is absent, secondary aquifers are crucial sources of water life. A new publication by hydrologists with the Conservation and Survey Division at the University of Nebraska delves deep into Nebraska's seven secondary aquifers and provides extensive detail about their characteristics with a focus on water quality, water quantity, and water use. The Educational Circular, an overview of secondary aquifers in Nebraska, is the first comprehensive analysis of its kind in the state, and you can find that by visiting ruralradio.com. And the U.S. Agricultural Export Development Council, or USAEDC, a Washington, D.C.-based organization made up of commodity trade associations, farmer cooperatives, and state and regional trade groups that export a variety of U.S. agricultural products around the world, recently elected Greg Haynes as its chairman. The timing of his election places Haynes in the chairman's role at a very crucial time for U.S. agricultural exports. The new farm bill is being crafted and the next year will be extremely important to USMEF and all cooperator organizations while protecting current funding levels for the USDA programs like the Market Access Program and the Foreign Market Development Program is crucial to U.S. ag exporters. Haynes says USA EDC will also be working to get funding for those programs increased for the first time in more than two decades. One of the, uh, the biggest challenges we face now, obviously, is the farm bill that will be coming up next year. Both the MAP FMD and then the other programs that the cooperators use are all part of this, a part of the farm bill. So with the current mood in Washington and the moves towards more budget cuts and reductions in programs, this is going to be a very important time for us to make sure that we can get the funding for these programs that we need and demonstrate the impact that they have to not only the ag community, but I think also to the general economy as a whole. So that will really be, I think, one of the the key focuses that we're going to be having over the next year or so will be that push to get the farm bills approved. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more audio, video, and other ag news stories, again, visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Time to get ready for land decisions. That's our topic with Lance Burdett, account manager with Water Street Solutions. Lance, what can we do to prepare for those decisions? 
Well, when you're thinking about growing your farm through adding acres, often those opportunities can come up very quickly or unexpectedly. Sometimes you have to be ready faster than you'd like to be with an answer as to whether or not you're going to be able to take advantage of the particular opportunity or not. And especially when decisions have to be made within short time frames, it can be tough trying to figure out what your farm can and can't take on in terms of cash rent or land payments. You might not be sure how or if the new acres will fit into your operation from a financial standpoint, but in our opinion, that's one of the most important things to consider. Knowing where your operation is at financially is the first step to determining whether or not your farm should grow by taking on additional acres at this time. You'll want to know where you stand in terms of key metrics and indicators, including working capital, equity, and other factors. We're talking with Lance Burdett at Water Street Solutions. How can we position ourselves well for those opportunities? Well, doing many of the farmers that we work with have said they found it very helpful to have a feasibility study done on acres they might rent or buy. This is a critical step to be well positioned. It allows you to see how a decision to move forward with additional acres will impact your farm and its financial dashboard as a whole. A feasibility study can also prepare you for the types of questions and concerns your lender might have if you're seeking additional financing financing for a purchase. It can be a way to show them that you're also thinking about the same numbers and metrics they're considering as they make lending decisions about your operation. It helps them see you've already done your homework on whether the new land is right for your overall operation. There may be many land opportunities in the months ahead for those who are well positioned. You'll want to know very clearly how much you can handle right now. How will additional acres impact your machinery and labor needs? How will this impact logistics? Is the land nearby other land you currently farm or in a completely different geographical area? Or maybe you actually find that your operation is currently at a sweet spot in terms of machinery and labor to cover the land you're already farming. In that case, More land might not necessarily equal more success if you end up having to purchase additional machinery or needing to hire additional labor to farm the potential new acres. This really can prove to be a balancing act as you determine the best size for your operation and having the numbers to support it. Lance, is there more that we should think about? Well, another part of these decisions to evaluate carefully is whether it would be best to purchase or rent new ground. Our clients, again, have found it useful to work with one of our ag finance advisors to analyze the ground itself, its potential, and the impact of either renting or buying on their overall operation. Often an advisor can bring additional perspectives, insights, and questions as the producer works through all of the impacts of taking on new ground. They can help you press the pause button as you think through key areas ahead of time so you can make the best decisions for your farming business. If you're thinking about adding acres through a land purchase or rental this winter, tap into the perspective of a Water Street Ag Finance Advisor. And if you want more information about this or any other topic, contact them at waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. We've talked today with Lance Burdett, Account Manager, Water Street Solutions. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check in for Sports with Jason Jorgen. 
Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Husker football team picked up commit number 10 last night from Tampa, Florida, wide receiver Justin McGriff. The six foot six, 190-pound prospect was once committed to head coach Scott Frost when he was in Central Florida, but this weekend he ended up visiting Nebraska and later decommitted and committed to the Huskers last night. Iowa State coach Matt Campbell says he will support quarterback Jacob Park if he intends to transfer to another school. Campbell released a statement last night after the Des Moines Register quoted Park as saying he had asked for a release from his scholarship. Park, a junior, was Iowa State's starting quarterback until early October when he went on an indefinite leave of absence. The Cyclones then turned to senior Kyle Kemp, who was 5-2 and two as a starter. The Cyclones face off against Memphis in the Liberty Bowl on December 30th. And Mississippi quarterback Shea Patterson says he will transfer to Michigan, where coach Jim Harbaugh has gone through three starting quarterbacks this year. Patterson made his commitment in a tweet last night after visiting the Ann Arbor-Michigan campus last weekend. Now, Patterson is recovering from a right knee injury that cost him the final month of last season, but he should be ready to compete in 2018. UNK volleyball team is ranked ninth in the final AVCA Division II coaches' top 25. The Lopers went 33-4 and won the MIAA tournament title, as well as being the MIAA co-regular season champs. They also reached a 19th straight NCAA tournament and recorded the program's 30th 31 season. Mark UNK's 13th top 10 finish with seven of those efforts coming in the last eight years. This past weekend, Concordia St. Paul claimed the NCAA Division II title. Longtime Grand Island Northwest volleyball coach Diane Rose is retiring from coaching volleyball. She finishes with a 768 and 183 record. That includes three titles during her time with the Vikings. And Villanova is a new number one on the AP Top 25, while Arizona State made a big leap after a wild week in which half of the top 10 actually lost. Villanova, they were ranked fourth but earned 41 of 65 first place votes to hop over Michigan State, which earned 19 first place votes. Now the Spartans moved from third to second. They were the favorites to take over the top after Duke's loss at Boston College. Wichita State moves up three spots to number three, followed by Duke and Arizona State. KU, who plays at Nebraska on Saturday, fell the 13th after two consecutive losses. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in Nebraska's forecast for tonight with lows in the mid-20s to lower 30s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A Western Iowa school district says grief counselors are available to help students and staff cope following a school bus fire that killed a student and the bus driver. Investigators say no one else was on the bus when the fire erupted around 7 a.m. this morning southeast of Oakland, Iowa, which is about 35 miles east of Omaha. The Riverside Community School District has about 700 students from the area. The district held classes today but also made counselors available. The district has postponed basketball games scheduled for this evening. Investigators say the bus caught fire after it backed out of a farm driveway and into a ditch across the road. The cause of the fire remains under investigation. The Bertrand Volunteer Fire Department was called to a cornfield fire yesterday about 11 miles southwest of Bertrand over the noon hour. The fire was started from a hot exhaust pipe on a pickup owned by Wells Flying Service of Holdridge that was being used to take soil samples in the cornfield. With winds gusting to 35 miles per hour and relative humidity at 35 percent, the decision was made to call the Oxford and Loomis Fire Departments for mutual aid. 
An estimated 40 acres of corn stalks and 8 acres of grass, trees and brush were consumed in the fire. Two power poles owned by Twin Valley Public Power Company were also damaged in the blaze, along with uh, threatening of seven grain bags of corn and two large stacks of hay were threatened to be burned. The fire departments were able to save them. A total of 27 firefighters responded with seven grass rigs, three tankers, a pumper, and an equipment truck. A Phelps County emergency manager was also on scene. A new report shows that Kansas is experiencing a shortage of child care services. The report released yesterday by Child Care Aware of Kansas. The agency administers Kansas's child care referral service. The agency found that Kansas counties, on average, have capacity to meet only about half the potential demand for child care. Nearly 164,000 children under age 6 potentially need child care in Kansas. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A celebration of the soils. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Soil health is now considered the next frontier in agriculture, helping farmers adapt to extreme weather, reduce greenhouse gases, protect water quality, and improve farm economics. Greg Whitmore from Shelby, Nebraska, is one producer that has been enrolled in the Soil Health Partnership. He talks about the benefits he's seen in his fields and how the improvement in soil health, in turn, means an improvement in crop production. Where I've seen it evolve is uh, I've I've seen improved uh, water infiltration, uh, reduced erosion. I'm not seeing the dust blow off of it uh, when we take all the cover off. I'm seeing uh, more earthworms. Uh, we we just it, the crop seems to that comes off of it seems to be more resilient to the to our weather extremes. Uh, it's not impacted as much as some that where we haven't been using cover crops and in, in some of these uh, uh, other soil health practices. For you. What has, I mean, the, the education that you had to go through to, to get your crops and get that ground ready to go as you continue to make improvements? Uh, you know, and, and the things that I've learned through the Soil Health Partnership, uh, which is a collaboration of farmers working to uh, uh, implement uh, these practices uh, for, on environmental and, and also on an economic basis to uh, how to how to work with them it's it's somewhat akin to what no-till was like 25 years ago you know it's a great concept out there but in reality how do I make it really work on my farm and uh, that's what's great about this peer-to-peer group and and uh the Soil Health Partnership is a, a national coalition of uh, environmental industry and uh, uh, other sources that help us farmers get out there and and do the the research and documenting whether uh, what actual gains we actually are getting from uh, implementing these practices. And for for you being able to 
kind of sit down and educate and, t- and talk to other producers at the same time. Has got yeah. to, you learn from them as they learn from you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, pick up these little tidbits. What worked for someone, you know, uh, may not work for me. Uh, prime example, uh, you know, aerial seating works most of the time. But uh, I found uh, uh, in our higher yield environments, we really need to, it, what it lacks is uh, uh, the seeds to soil contact to get the crop esta- uh, cover crop established in your residue and in your um, shaded area under these uh, irrigated crops that we raise here in Nebraska. So what have you had so, to do to, to, to try to fix that to make it you know, more user-friendly for you guys? Well, you know, to, to fixing that specific topic, uh, I've gone to, and, and now I actually just uh, use a drill or, or I actually use my planter to uh, plant my cover crop after harvest this fall. And because uh, I've had, I've tried aerial seeding, I've tried interseeding with, uh, with a Hagee, and it just wasn't satisfactory stand. So this, uh, and asking around and talking to others even from the nrcs and it's like these cases you really do need to get down to the get good seed soil contact to get crop established so you know and and cover crops are just one of the many components that can help improve soil health uh reduced tillage is another one um and the other aspect of it is is also the uh proper uh, nutrient management so like better nitrogen management uh, and, and timing of applications and, and quantities so um, you know so soil health is, is pretty broad spectrum on on what we're talking about but uh, I for me primarily focus is erosion reduction Anything else that you would like to add, or if there's a producer that wants to find out more information? You could contact the Soil Health Partnership. Um, it's uh, www.soilhealthpartnership.org. And they're on Twitter. at They are at Soil Partners. Facebook is Soil Health Partnership. And they do have a website. You know, I like this, the Soil Health Partnership and shows... Uh, and, and gives tips and help and, and other sources too, like from the NRCS and the Soil Health Institute. And uh, there are others out there that are uh, working on promoting soil health. Shelby, Nebraska farmer Greg Whitmore talking about the Soil Health Partnership. I'm Susan Littlefield, Liberal Radio Network. Time for a positive review of these cattle futures with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. I said positive, didn't I? Yes, you did. You did say positive, and that's exactly what we saw. Had some triple-digit gains in cattle and feeder cattle today. And uh, looks like uh, some pretty good short covering uh, taking place. Uh, we've, we've had long liquidation. Now we've had some uh, short, appears to be uh, short liquidation. Uh, really can't point to anything... Uh, uh, that would was the uh, turning event other than the fact that we were oversold and uh, well discounted uh, with the uh, nearby futures to uh, the current cash so that 
I think prompted uh, uh, the rally and the continuation came from uh, uh, the fact that the cutouts at noon were just a little bit higher. So I, I think that affirmed the uh, uh, continuation of the rally today in, in the triple-digit gains right straight across. Didn't happen for the hogs, though. The hogs are finishing lower with the exception of the December contract, which goes off the board uh, uh, on the 14th. That's Thursday. Uh, it was up uh, just slightly, uh, trying to narrow the gap between the index and the uh, current price uh, futures. Uh, the rest of the months uh, down uh, once again, uh, kind of taking the premium out of the back end of the market. So uh, a mixed day, but uh, a positive day finally for uh, for the cattle. You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter first two days expected to be 236,000, 3,000 less than last week. Hog slaughter projected 932,000. 1,000 more than last week. Dewey Nelson reporting. by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's 2016 Summary Report of Antimicrobials Sold or Distributed for Use in Food-Producing Animals came as no surprise. The numbers are lower. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The report, which still is based on sales and not actual usage, supports what we already know from the farm level. We're using fewer antibiotics overall today because we're committed to reducing the need for them while protecting the health and welfare of our animals. That statement from the National Pork Board President Terry O'Neill, a pork producer from Friend, Nebraska. Dr. Heather Fowler is with the National Pork Board. We talked about the report and what it means to the industry. Yeah, I would definitely say this. Um, this the report definitely validates our work um, here at the National Pork Board. One of the things that we promote, obviously, is responsible or judicious antimicrobial use um, involving a veterinarian in the herd health program, um, making sure to use antibiotics only when needed and necessary. And we promote that through a lot of our certification programs, our training. We have a full suite of um, uh, educational materials on our website, etc. So this is this really falls in line and really validates the work that we've done and will continue to improve upon. Now, is this based on sales, though, not actual usage? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so that is the one limitation of the data. It is da- based on sales data and not necessarily true usage data. And so at the National Pork Board, again, as I mentioned, um, we're always striving to continuously improve or continuous improvement is one of our primary goals that we promote through our educational materials, um, both certification programs and materials online. Um, and that involves looking at kind of on-farm stewardship. So maybe though this data has its limitations, it's starting to show us um, some semblance of, of what of some of the work that we've done and um, how we've been working in the right direction by promoting judicious use. So for that um, consumer that maybe is reading this report, they see the story online, how would you explain it to them when it comes to the usage and what it means from from the consumer perspective? That's a great question. So if I was talking to the consumer, again, I would want to point out that this is sales data. So um, more of kind of an invoicing um, business transaction versus actual use on the farm. Um, I would tell them, however, that the pork board um, has invested um, pork checkoff dollars over the years looking at antimicrobial resistance, 
promoting um, judicious um, antimicrobial use and looking at additional metrics that would give us measures, more accurate measures of on-farm usage. So we are, again, striving toward um, continuous improvement in that area by really trying to get a grasp on our actual usage um, for stewardship reasons, um, really to um, assess our stewardship goals and activities. And for that pork producer and just livestock producer in general, it just continues to show that the work that they do to strive to, to grow the best product possible. Exactly. And again, um, we still, we remain dedicated to continuous improvement. We're never going to, um, we don't want to get lazy and, you know, pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, good job, well done. We're going to continue to um, improve. And that's why we're looking at additional metric farm use versus just sales data. If folks are interested, um, whether it's producers or general public, and learning more about um, antimicrobial stewardship in the swine industry at www.pork.org slash antibiotics. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network after a report today from USDA. Well, we slid for a while, then we gained ground and rebounded in some of the grain contracts. But late selling brought them back down again and new contract lows in wheat. With us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So from a perspective of yours, it was a little disappointing for this close today? Yeah, it's such a, you know, two step forward, one step back. That's the way I'd like to think of it. You know, the report wasn't anything. I think, you know, we'll go go into the, the January report, probably looking at things being steady. Uh, you know, maybe you'd argue a yield hike is in the cards again, given the supply leftovers we'll find. But uh, shorter term here, I just think it's a, it's a weather thing basing in South America and then money flowing, right? I, I don't know. I'm debating on if this NASA thing is starting to, to leak into the trade. I'm starting to read a lot of hit pieces on uh, on NAFTA right now, whereas folks are coming out and talking about $2 corn and the market world falling apart. Um, screams kind of PR to me, just as somebody who reads the media every day, but uh, I think the trade could be starting to buy in a little bit and being fearful and maybe getting ahead of it, given the, uh, you know, the rhetoric right now pointing towards uh, export losses. But shorter term, I think the takeaway I'll have from this report is that in the corn side, we're using it in this country. Uh, feed and residual is very high. It's going up. And that is something that, as we all talk about export numbers, because they're out every week, uh, the bulk of the corn in this country is consumed in the U.S., and, and we're, we're consuming more of it. So that's a good sign of silver lining, so to speak. I think, like I said, eventually we'll see prices rally here. 350 is going to be a price we'll probably have to get used to in the short term, though. And the dollar higher today, but some of these other markets, like gold, silver, crude oil, were down. Did that have an effect on the grains? Yeah, I would have thought. I thought maybe we would see a turnaround there in some of those outside markets. We did see in the leading leading indicator markets like oats and copper. Uh, we did see those markets rally a little bit here, and then the cattle markets got off the floor. So I, I think there are some some you know silver linings to this report. But I think shorter term, it's about money flow and uh, weather. And, and you know the weather story that it kind of propped the market up last week is gone, and now we'll be uh, talking about uh, you know maybe what brings that back next week. South American weather will still be a factor, however, probably for another month or two. Oh, absolutely! It's it's going to be in the in the lexicon for a while, especially given the fact that very little is going to get the market to move. Other than that, they're looking at some rain here in the next seven days. It's going to remain hot though, and then you know we get through the first of the year. Corn down there, from what I've heard from the folks who work with in Brazil, are, aren't they aren't thrilled with it at this point? But it is early still. 
John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com if you'd like more information. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.